Well, good morning, everybody. What a joy it is to gather on this Sunday before Christmas to adore God, to be caught up in worship and adoration of God. This morning we are looking at the word adore from that wonderful carol that we sing possibly as a favourite, O Come Let Us Adore Him. Two weeks ago we had the invitation to come. Last Sunday we thought about let us, who we are collectively together and how together we're able to do far more than we could do singly. That one person impacts another, iron sharpens iron. But today we look at a door. Let me commence by talking about a woman who wrote something about her marriage. She talked about how she was married to her husband together, both of them just in their late teens. They pledged their deep love for each other in the marriage ceremony. Then they had a, a really great honeymoon. Then their children were born. Then they went through all kinds of ups and downs in their relationship. They had conflicts to deal with, some disagreements, but also there were many, many good times amid the struggles. And over the years, she felt generally comfortable in their marriage relationship. But then it seems she came to a deeper realisation as she pondered what their marriage was. And she wrote these words. He, referring to her husband, has shown me the meaning of unconditional love. He accepts me as I am and then gives me the freedom to grow into all that I am meant to be. He is the shelter I run to when I need to hide from the world. He is the anchor that helps me weather life's chaos and storms. He is the one who gets me. He understands me even when I don't get myself. She concluded, I don't only love him, I adore him. And when I read those words, I thought if that could be adoration expressed on the human plane, how much more should we be expressing deep adoration of God for who God is and the activities of God? And so we're looking at adore this morning. But what is it to adore? I searched the scriptures and couldn't find it. Love is there, different kinds of love, in particular the unconditional love that God has expressed to us in Jesus Christ, that agape love, that undeserved love that's freely given. That's there, but the word adore isn't there. So I thought to myself, the word adore must sort of, as it were, heat up love a little bit. It takes it a bit further. It ramps up the intensity on love. So I went to the dictionary to see what adore was. Because how can we sing, oh, come, let us adore him, if we didn't really know what we were singing and what it really meant? I Googled it as well, of course. You have to do that today. So adore is to worship with arms outstretched. That's one definition of it from a worship perspective. It's profound and loving admiration. It's deep devotion and utmost respect. It is to revere, to love intensely, to honour, to be caught up in wonder, to cherish and to value. All those words collectively, I believe, would define for us adoration, to adore. 
And I thought to myself, if that is the case, then adoration would be highly motivational. If you adore, then you can't simply have sentimentality at adoration. It's got to be something that is far deeper that would prompt people to action. So I thought about some people of the Scriptures and how they, through their adoration, do fantastic things for God and, of course, for God's people that they serve. So my mind immediately went to people like Noah who built an ark during a drought because he believed in adoration, he believed the promise that God gave that there was going to be a devastating flood and God needed a redeeming remnant of people after the flood to create a fresh start for people. I thought about people like Daniel who would not bow down to the image of King Darius, would not, but instead went into his room and worshipped the Lord and praised the Lord and adored the Lord. And even though he was thrown into the den of lions, he did it willingly, but we know that God saved him. That is great adoration. I thought of Ezra. After the time of the exile, when the people were returning from the Babylonian region back into the Israel region, and the temple was rebuilt, and it was Ezra who equipped the temple with all that was needed that the people might truly adore God and worship God. And then his compatriot in Nehemiah, the great leader who under his leadership rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem that had been destroyed to make the place secure and doing it out of adoration, this intense love, this motivating power within him. And when the walls were built, he gathered all the choirs up on the walls of the, temp- of the, of the city and they sang and they, and they worshipped. Then I turned to the New Testament as well. My mind immediately went to a woman who came to Jesus and broke an alabaster jar of very, very expensive ointment and she anointed his head. And Jesus said she did a very beautiful thing, no matter what everyone else would say. And I thought of another woman in the New Testament as well, when Jesus was in the house of Simon and she came in and she broke an equally expensive jar of ointment and she washed Jesus' feet with it. And as she washed his feet, the tears fell from her eyes onto his feet. She washed his feet with her tears and she dried them with her hair. And Simon rebuked Jesus and the woman. How could you possibly do that? And Jesus said to Simon, you are the host. I came into this house and you didn't wash my feet, which is the custom. But that woman has not stopped washing my feet with her tears and kissing my feet. And I thought to myself, that is pure adoration. That is a person who's experienced such redemption, such a change of heart, such salvation and new life that the only thing she could possibly do was bow down humbly at the feet of Jesus and worship and adore. And Jesus is such a healer as well. In Acts chapter 3, we have the story of the man who was born lame, never walked from birth. And he was healed because of the ministry of the disciples of Jesus. 
And not only did he regain his mobility, we know, from that story, but he went walking and leaping and praising God. It's adoration. It's adoring God. It's expressing some of that deep, deep feeling that we have within because of who God is and all that God does for us. Then I thought of some of our hymns. The new songs, of course, express tremendous adoration. But some of the old hymns do as well. And I thought of this one, a great hymn of the incarnation, but it's not a carol as such, so we don't often sing it at Christmas time. It's this one, love divine, all loves excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down. And it goes on to say, let us see your great salvation. And it concludes with these words, this beautiful hymn, till we cast our crowns before you, lost in wonder, love and praise. Seems to me that that's adoration. We adore God when we are lost almost out of control, so to speak, lost in wonder, lost in love and lost in praise. So I wonder how we might express that. How do you express that you adore God? When have been times when you've actually been caught up, so to speak, in that sort of wonder and love and praise? I considered when I was lost in wonder, love and praise, and I can think of a few times, times when I've been greatly moved. I recall watching the DVD, Indescribable. You've probably seen it. Speaks of the great galaxies, the infinite nature of the universe that blows our minds. It goes beyond anything we can comprehend possibly but it reminds us God is the creator and that this creator who created everything and compared to the greatness of the universe, we are so finite, like a little dot on the universe's history. And yet this God of ours deemed us so worthy, so valuable that he entered into our life, came as Jesus, the babe born in Bethlehem of Judea, the saviour of the world, our king and prophet and priest. I get caught up in wonder with that. Other things move me as well. As I came in this morning for the first service, our violinists and cellist and the music team were, were practising a final song which we're going to listen to later. And as I moved in and I walked through that door, I was struck by wonder, the music of worship. When people collectively come together and team together in the presence of God and in the service of God, it is wonderful. And I felt myself caught up in adoration. I remember I had a great sense of wonder at the birth of each of our four children. And when I hurled them, and was even invited to be the one who'd given their first bath there in the birthing room. I had this sense of adoration of God that this little babe, the, the fruit of the love, the deep intimacy between my wife and myself, that here it is, I'm holding this. 
I feel adoration, caught up in wonder. Do we need to be reminded of these things like this? Or to be reminded of the new birth that comes when a person changes from one direction in their life to a new direction? And as the Bible says, they are a new being when they are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? What a beautiful miracle it is when a person who might have been going in one direction, even fleeing from God, denying God, living contrary to the ways of God, is touched by the very spirit of Jesus Christ and comes to be a new being and they adore. And I found myself even the other Sunday when we had two young men baptised as an expression of their new life in Christ that I was caught up in wonder And I don't know what it's like for you, but the older I get, my eyes get watery. The tears come easily. Why shouldn't they? God is at work doing his wonderful things. I can think of a number of people who through the years express this adoration. I was reminded again of the story of George Matheson. George Matheson was a preacher in the northern part of the United Kingdom. Going back over 100 years now. But he learnt early in life that he was going blind. However, he was engaged to be married. But when his fiancée realised that he was going blind, she broke off the engagement. He never married. But then on the occasion when his sister, who'd helped him so much, in his ministry, learning other languages and so on, in Hebrew and Greek, to help him in his preaching. When she got married, he couldn't attend the wedding. And so his engagement was broken. His sister was getting married in another place. And he wrote that he was alone in his room. And he wrote these words, a hymn that he wrote almost, as he said, almost within a a few minutes, he wrote the whole hymn. Didn't have to revise it. And it begins like this. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O love that will not let me go, no matter what we're experiencing in life, how down we might feel, some of the grief that we come across, some of those really, really hard times, we know that we are in the presence of love that will never let us go. And so we adore. It's rather like the hymn that John Newton, the slave trader, wrote over 200 years ago now when he was converted to Christ. He wrote that hymn that has become the favourite of everybody and when we hear a pipe band play it, we are reduced to tears, aren't we? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace creates adoration within us. If there's a plea I would have for us today, it's this. Let's never be numbed to adoration and praise. Never, ever let go of a sense of wonder and praise in the presence of God and God's power. But there are two enemies of wonder, I believe, two enemies that might somehow or other take away a sense of adoration. 
They're very much prevalent in our society today. The first one is entertainment. Because entertainment is there to help us, as it were, forget some of the problems of life for a while, to step outside of ourselves for a while. Now, I'm not, I'm not against entertainment. I love to be entertained as well. I can sit in front of the telly and watch the cricket like most people, well, some people like to do. I can do that. But I know that entertainment should never, ever be anything that would take from us the sense of wonder in life. Entertainment can take away the excitement of real life. The second enemy to adoration, the second enemy to a sense of wonder and praise is acquisition. And we are in a season of acquisition, aren't we? Shopping. I don't know what it's like for you when you go shopping. I'm a purposeful shopper. I know what I want. I go straight to Bunnings. I go to the place where I want it. I buy it. I bring it home. Other people don't shop like that. Other people shop. You know what I mean? They shop. Even at Christmas time, we go shopping, hoping to find something for somebody. Acquisition. The difficulty with, I mean, there's going to be many presents shared this Christmas, aren't there? There'll be opening of presents. There'll be gift giving and gift receiving. The thing is, though, sadly, honestly, a few days later, it will be forgotten. Some of those presents will be put aside and then we'll be looking for the next acquisition that will feed us. Acquisition and entertainment can take away our sense of wonder and if we're not careful in our Western society, we're so caught up in this that we might even cease to adore our God. So I'm trying my plea is, I strongly encourage us this morning to be people who truly adore, get caught up in wonder, be lost in praise of God. When we do that, it, it softens our heart. It's like the Grinch, his heart was changed. It frees us, frees us from sin, frees us from accumulation, frees us to be who God has meant us to be. And then, of course, enables us to be involved in the transforming work of Christ that he's wanting to do in his society. In addition to that, to adore God, to be caught up in wonder and praise is to be open to the abundance of God who's got so much for us, so much for us. There is more. God is able to do immeasurably more than we can think of, let alone ask about. There was a young girl in primary school and she thought she'd exhausted mathematics when she learnt the 12 times table. That's it. I've got to the pinnacle of mathematics, she thought. I've learnt the 12 times table. But her grandfather said with a twinkle in his eye, what's 13 times 13? And she said, don't be silly, Grandpa. There's no such thing. <laughs> if we're not careful, we could get to the point where we think that's it. Can't do, there's no much more. There's not much more. But God has got infinitely more for us. To, to, to be an adorer of God, I believe absolutely convincingly, is to be a learner of God and to be open to all that God is wanting to do for us. Because knowing that what we do now for God and for ourselves is going to have a huge impact into the future. What we do today who we are today has a great influence on who we become tomorrow and what we do tomorrow. 
Once my wife and I were flying back from Port Lincoln to Adelaide. It's only about 30 minutes flight, but it was a pretty rough day. The flight itself was a bit tricky, but then the pilot was coming in to land. I could, I could sense all the passengers saying, I'm going to be really glad when this plane touches down because it was jumping around coming across the water. And as we got lower and lower, you could look outside, we're nearly there, nearly on the tarmac. But then the pilot gunned it. Whoa, we took off again. And everybody was, oh, what's going on? One or two other passengers were absolutely in tears, frightened, and needed to be comforted. Then the pilot told us that there was wind gusts that were dangerous down at ground level. So he just, they took off. We circled around and about 10 minutes later, we had a safe landing. And I read about a similar circumstance where a pilot had done that. And the pilot was asked, when did you make the decision? When did you make the decision to gum the plane? You're almost landing. When did you make the decision to take off again, to accelerate? And the pilot said, 15 years ago, I made that decision. He said, it was in my training that I considered all the possibilities, all the difficulties that might be presented to a pilot. I made the decision then, long before the crisis, he said. The decisions we make hopefully are based on the grounding that we have established through the designated time that we have with Jesus. I believe that is true adoration. I love what the psalm says. Psalm 92 verse 2, it says this, It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening. To start the day, every day, with thoughts about God. To begin that way. Not the other thoughts about, well, I'm awake now, what am I going to do now? I'm going to do this, going to do that. Think about God. And the last thought at night, to be that of God. That, I believe, is to adore God, to be renewed in the presence of God. Make space for this. This last week, I had to go to the dentist. I knew something was a problem. A few weeks ago, I went. There was something that was going on with the tooth. I had no idea what it was. I went and saw the dentist. She said, no, you'll be okay, you'll be okay. But by Wednesday, I knew I had a problem. And it wasn't just a general problem. I knew what tooth it was. So I phoned the dentist and they said, yes, you can come in. So I went in, got it fixed. It's all good. But I learnt that the dentist doesn't have a full schedule. They make space for the emergency. They make space for something that is going to crop up. If they had a full schedule, then they couldn't provide the service that they needed to provide for their patience. And I reflected on that and I thought, do we make space? Or are we so busy with everything that's going on that we don't actually make space for God to do the work in us that he would like to do? For us to truly adore, to adore God who's given so much to us. As we commenced our service this morning, Kynan read from Matthew chapter 2, the story of the wise men who came from the east and they brought their gifts. They came to worship. And that reminded me again that the whole gospel according to Matthew 
is bookended by worship. It's the first response. There in chapter 2, the wise men came. The first thing they did was to worship and they expressed that more deeply in the gifts that they gave. But in chapter 28, right at the end of this gospel record of the life of Jesus, it talks about how the 11 disciples, just 11 of them now, gathered on the hill in Galilee where Jesus had asked them to come. It was a day of resurrection and Jesus appeared to them as the resurrected Lord and Saviour and it says they worshipped him, even though some of them doubted. Seems to me that doubt is never ever an excuse for not worshipping, for not adoring. In fact, the more we adore, the more we learn of God, the more we grow in God, the greater understanding we have. And so our worship goes to a deeper level. Psalm 89.15 says, Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship, for they will walk in the light of his presence. Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship. We do it Sunday by Sunday. But may we do it on a daily basis as well. Express adoration to God, that adoration that frees us, transforms us, places God first, and so gives us the liberty to be the people that God has really created us to be. Emmanuel, God is with us, loving us, redeeming us. Oh, come, let us adore him. Let's pray. We thank you, our God, that you are the God that is worthy of all our adoration and praise. How wonderful you are. We thank you, it's our adoration of you that motivates us in our ministries. Be it 117 handbags that we can give to women in need, or our Monday's mob, or our youth and children, or young adults ministry, or our seniors ministry, our worship week by week, our learning in small groups, our growing in discipleship, all of it our God becomes because we adore you and we seek to serve you as an expression of that adoration. Lord, when we think about you, we think about your divinity, how you are the true expression of God, we only want to worship. And when we think about your humanity, our Lord Jesus, or we read about you in the scriptures, your beauty, your love. And when we think of your divinity and your humanity, we celebrated at Christmas in the incarnation, we find that you are absolutely irresistible. And so we bow our knee before you. And we pray it would be the case that for every person, adoration would be there, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Lord, may we live that out constantly and may that prayer become reality in our day. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.